You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. Hi, my name is Zoe Turner, and welcome to the podcast. Today I'm speaking to Nick Halleck. Nick is an entrepreneur, extreme adventurer, Fair to say, probably a little bit mad. An author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Day Weekend, whereby he destroys the five day work week paradigm and basically claims that he can show you how you can add an extra three days to your weekend. Welcome to the podcast today, Nick. Hey, Zoe, how are you? Sanity is a good thing, and I'll tell you right now. Um, if you're not being told you're insane or crazy on a daily basis, then you're way too mainstream in your thinking. Yeah, I was saying it as a compliment, by the way. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't an insult. I was, it's definitely a compliment. Crazy in a really good way. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean a lot of it's just, you know, going out there and being, being, being a contrarian, but all about experiential living. I mean, you know, the most important thing in life, if you look at life, for example, you know, this is your life and everything in the orbit of your life is your businesses and whatever you, your different brands. But first and foremost, everything must revolve around your life, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. That's. Um, tell me a little bit about your life at the moment. It's been a while since we spoke, Nick. Um, Absolutely, definitely. Um, you, I, what have you been no, concentrating I, on in recent months? There's always something exciting going on in your life. One of the, uh, one of the biggest rules in life is always have something each month to look forward to. You know, and I find that way. It's like, I believe, you know, life is a meritocracy. Um, the Greek word, meritocratia, basically means, you know, um, life rewards your drive and your ambition kind of thing. So every month, um, by having something to look forward to, it's usually um, uh, an adventure or some form of exploration, for example. Next week, I'm going to be um, going to be doing a zip line across a lava lake. In oh, a my volcano. God. In fact, I was there in November and basically proved the proof of concept and I was the very first person to do a zip line across a lava lake. So imagine this like a lava lake is 1800 degrees Fahrenheit, about 938 degrees Celsius. And I did a zip line across the lava lake. Absolutely epic. So that's coming up. And then in March, I've got um, this incredible cave that's been newly discovered in Vietnam. It's probably the closest thing to Avatar. It is so vast, it has its own rainforest and ecosystem and climate inside this particular cave. And it's like, it's, you're, you're expecting to see like a big dinosaur just like walk through kind of thing. But um, that's in March. And then April and May, I'm going to be in the, um, the Himalayas basically supporting my friend's expedition. He's going to do a, wigs, a wing search, jump off the summit of Everest. And he's going to jump on the summit and then land at the base camp. Because he was there to support my expedition in Everest. I mean, 2000, I was like 5,000 feet above Everest. Mm. And I did my, my hello jump. So this time around, I'm going to reciprocate, and he's going to be he's going to be standing on the summit, and he's going to jump with a wingsuit. Well, it sounds like you've got a few things to look forward to over the next few months, for sure. Yes, the expeditions that you're going on, the uh, volcano, because I've been looking at them and I've been following them on Facebook. They're actually organized group expeditions so you're doing it as a group you've organized it and yes, you're bringing uh, people on board to experience yeah, it like-minded friends adventurers explorers so the good thing is you know during these type of expeditions um, people can also mastermind and ask me questions about business branding you know yeah. uh oil endeavors and investing and you know knowing how to know how to deploy and weaponize and monetize your cash flow whatever kind of thing so it gives um, individuals an opportunity to um 
not only uh, explore and be part of a, an, an amazing, insane adventure, but to also like, you know, sharpen your entrepreneurial acts at the same time. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. These experiences, as you know, I climbed Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago and it makes a huge difference who you go on these kind of expeditions or where thankfully when I climbed Kili, we had like a really good group with us. So I can imagine that you know some pretty interesting people and you've got some um, exciting individuals lined up to go on these um, expeditions with you, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and look, and I tell everybody, like, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's experiential living. It's like, I mean, you know, everything must revolve around your life first and foremost and, um, you know, never over-obligate yourself to the rest of the world because you fail to appease yourself. So, you know... There are certain things in life that are not negotiable. You must have fun. More freedom, more fulfillment, and more quality time with your family and your friends. Everything else is, is secondary to that. You know, and I, and I think that's what, you know, really encapsulates that's what I do. I mean, I'm a five-day weekend lifestyle strategist. I mean, I live a five-day weekend lifestyle. I mean, it's, you know, knowing how to add three more days to your weekend, more excitement, more more colour to the other, the, the palette and the, and the tapestry of life, you know, mm-hmm. the mosaic, mosaic of offerings and, having more of a, a kaleidoscopic vision in mm-hmm. relation to future quest and what you want to accomplish in life and you know, bridging the gap of where you are to where you really want to be, I guess, kind of thing in this. So. Yeah, okay, sounds exciting. Okay, tell us a little bit about your book, Nick, about the five-day weekend. It, it's it's centered around four particular things, like it's, it's knowing how to keep more money. In other words, you know, keeping more money, making more money, growing your money, and really just, you know, living your life out loud. Uh, on your terms and your conditions kind of thing. And really, it's, it's, I support the five-day weekend. It's all about adding three more days to your weekend because in the Western world, we love our weekends. And, um, you know, most individuals love their Fridays. In fact, most individuals are ecstatic on a Friday. Why? Because it's the end of the week. When I mean, you really think about it, I mean, you know, the weekend Monday to Friday, they get paroled for the weekend. Friday night, they go out there, they drink, they party, they have fun. Saturday, they're going to wake up around 11 o'clock or around midday. Sunday, they press. Because it's just they're going to work the next day on a Monday. And Monday, most people are suicidal because it's the start of a week. In fact, suicide rates are the highest on a Monday. When you look at when you examine every day of the week, suicide rates are the highest on a Monday. And the highest consumer spending is on a Friday. Interesting, isn't it? You know, it's like, I mean, the highest consumer sentiment is on a Friday. Uh-huh. And the most depressing, the most suicidal day is a Monday. And here's the thing with a five-day weekend. I don't I don't disqualify. I mean, a public holiday, a weekday and a weekend, I treat them all that's completely neutral. I mean, I don't I don't live my day, I don't live my life by days. I live my life by dates. Okay. How how realistic is this five week five day weekend really though? Because I know I that's so, I know that sometimes you are super busy. I'm You're- never busy. Always optimize. Big difference between being busy and being optimized. Busy people don't make money because they're too busy being busy to make money. What's the difference opti- between busy and optimized? I mean, what I do as I mean, I optimize my life. In other words, I outsource many of the obligations in my life. I mean, I have a, I have assistants, I have virtual assistants, what I do. So I I focus on the bigger brands, the bigger money, for example, the big ideas. And I outsource everything else to my assistants because I believe, you know, you need to be able to like aerate and ventilate and be creative and be, you know, somewhat innovative. So living a five-day weekend, I optimize my picking. It's a high rate. It's a picking order in relation to the tasks that I undertake on a daily basis. 
you know, I, I'm very, very specific. Like I, I don't, I don't discriminate, I don't discriminate between a weekday, a public holiday or a weekend. Every day is the same. And, um, it's an interesting thing. Look at the four to five day weekend. There's a reason why weekend is in red. Because when I grew up, it was old school calendars. We didn't have like cell phones or what have you. Old school calendars, the weekends were in what? Red. You know those calendars you had your, your parents had on the fridge, for example? Weekends were always red and the weekdays were always what? Black. So for me, is you know, if you live if you live your life by the actual days of the week, it's going to shift the emotions or how you basically approach each particular day. Me, I don't live my life by days. I live my life by the dates. So, for example, if I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be in the, I'm going to, for example, I'm going to be in Nicaragua, um, Central America, to a particular volcano, volcano Masaya, right? I'm going to be there between the seventh and the 13th. I have no idea what days that's going to be as to which particular day it is, because most individuals, where Monday to Friday, they take the foot off the gas pedal on the weekends or the public holidays, and then they put them back on the gas pedal come Monday when they're back at work. See, for me, you know, every day is a day of opportunity. Every day is a day where you can reward yourself. And, you know, once again, that experiential living, that, that experiential element that best brings, the, you know, which, which allows you to excavate your life's purpose. For someone that would like to subscribe or if there's any listeners who are very attracted to the concept of a five-day weekend, but they're working like a nine-to-five job, they don't have any investments or any passive streams of income, where would you suggest that they start? Definitely. Um, First up is this. If you're sleeping eight hours, start sleeping seven hours. Save one hour every day. That's 365 hours you're going to save. From, from sleeping one hour less every day. That's 365 hours now that you can commit towards an entrepreneurial pursuit. And the idea about that is you want to play, you want to play something called a Kaizen principle, which is take your, your income right now and then add 5% of that each month but by, by, a, by, by having one hour free every day into generating additional income, for example. Okay? So the idea is if this is your employee income, then that extra hour every day starts to basically accumulate that collective. And the most important thing there is obviously, as you're as you're generating uh, additional incomes, then I would say the first ten or fifteen thousand dollars you may have, instead of investing it or speculating that money, find a good coach or mentor. That was going to be that was going to be one of my questions actually. Yeah. Um, Always the first ten or fifteen thousand dollars you have, find a good coach or mentor because they can. So someone's got $15,000 to invest and they're thinking, okay, should I invest it into an entrepreneurial venture where I can... A coach or a mentor, somebody who's going to hold you accountable, so long as your coach will teachable, and so long as your, your, your mentor has achieved what you desire in life, and they're going to hold you to the feet. I mean, you know, most important thing is this, you need to emotionalize the experience, you need to socialize it, but you also need to be held accountable. You know, and here's a couple of things, you know, we, we are the result of every decision we made in our lives. We are the result of every decision. We are the result of every decision we made in our lives. Our very best thinking has got us exactly where we are today. And without a, without a wealth mentor, I mean, you know, look, growing up, I never had a mentor. The amount of times that I've been thrown off course, you know, and I call these like these, these financial cul-de-sacs where basically they're just dead ends. 
and then you've got to basically dig yourself out of it. How does someone go about finding a good mentor? Because there's so many fake gurus out there who yeah, look at claim the to... World, the last thing the world needs is probably another NLP coach or another wealth coach. I mean, go out there, you know, just do your own due diligence. You know, if, if somebody's message really resonates with you, then do your due diligence on that particular person and then reach out to that particular individual. And here's the thing, like when it comes to coaching and mentoring, I, I take on about 25 students on a yearly basis. And what I'm doing, I'm sort of gradually phasing myself out, you know, and um, just to focus on my existing students. But the um, most important thing is what you want to do is you want to make sure that you find somebody who has a particular message that resonates strongly with you. Unfortunately, most individuals on social media and Instagram and all that kind of thing, they're a Hollywood set. They appear to have everything in the world, but truly they don't. Which mentors have resonated with you over the years? I know you said during your early years you didn't have one, but you've well, met I some. Well, I, had, I had somebody who influenced me. And, you know, I, when I first came to the United States, uh, I met a gentleman by the name of uh, Bob Proctor. Bob Proctor, um, basically, um, you know, he was all about, for, to me, Bob Proctor was probably one of the first and foremost mentors that I looked up to and I went to all his events. You know, he took me under his wing as a, as a, as, as a young kid, but in relation to, but he was more like, um, he was there for my mindset, for example, like, and just really getting, getting this, which is obviously the, the number one asset in the world kind of thing. But when, it, but when it came to wealth and what have you, I never really had a wealth coach or anything like that kind of thing. But, but what I provide, for example, is like, you know, I help people with their mindsets, the, the psychology, but also, you know, how to generate additional cash flow and then knowing how to deploy that cash flow to generate more growth on their monies. And where I sort of come into it, it's like I teach people how to live a life, you know. And, you know, what we need to understand that um, in life, you never get what you want or, or you will only get what you negotiate. How valid do you want it, for example? You know, like the two most important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you discover why you're born. You know, what's your purpose? What brings a tear to your eyes? What brings a smile to your face kind of thing? You know, where's that drive? What do you want to accomplish in life? You know, have, you know, you know what's your body of work going to be? You know, how are you going to scale up your life, for example? You know, you want to be like a, like a, like a pivotal influence and add value by value, factoring other people's lives and adding value to the business, whatever, you know? For me, that's what I do. I mean, I, like, um, I haven't had a, um, many, many values and I wouldn't change anything. And I am so fortunate that I've had multiple failures in my life. Absolutely. And I love the gauntlet of challenges and hurdles and obstacles because I know that every failure that I've experienced in my life was a tattoo. It, was, sorry, it wasn't a tattoo. It was just a bruise. Has there been any specific kind of moments or failures or rock-bottom moments that you've experienced and, and learnt from that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, a lot of us just being overly reliant on certain individuals, you know. For example, if you're an employee and you lose your, and you lose your job and that was your single source of income, well, you are overly reliant on your employer, for example. And, you know, if you're an employee, if you're an employee and you listen to this particular podcast right now, you're working hard enough at work so you don't get sacked and the employer's going to pay you just enough so you don't quit. Where's the logic? You know, and here's the thing, you can't be a racehorse all your life. Eventually you have to go to stud and there's more money going to stud, which means you have the liberty of thinking, you're more creative. You know, you've got multiple assets that are basically generating cash flow and revenue. 
passive income that allows you to go out there and then live your life on your terms and your your, your terms and your conditions, what have you. Failures are just bruises. It's not a tattoo. You're not you're not permanently tainted in your life. They're just bruises. And with each bruise, you learn what to do and what not to do. Go out there and get bruised up a lot more and you're going to develop thicker skin as well. Experience some pretty epic adventures in your life. One, you're a qualified astronaut. Yeah, You've had lunch. Thing. Yep, um, I've had lunch in the shipwrecked Titanic. You've had lunch in the shipwrecked yep. Titanic and you've done loads, loads more of the exciting stuff. What would you say was the most memorable adventure yeah. or, or moment yes. that, that yes. you've had during yes. your travels? Well, you know, ziplining across a lava lake to um, having lunch on a shipwreck of the Titanic, from, um, you know, rocketing to uh, the edge of space in sub-orbit to, you know, jumping off Mount Everest and doing a halo jump. I would say sleeping inside of a sarcophagus in the king's chamber in the, uh, the Cheops Pyramid in Giza, Egypt, in Cairo. I slept in a sarcophagus, a 5,000-year-old sarcophagus, and I, to allow me to sleep in a sarcophagus, I was locked up inside the pyramid. It was just me See, in the pyramid. S- forgive my ignorance, but you slept in someone's coffin. Is that correct? That's correct. And that was your most I, exciting... That was <laughs> Well, I, I think I this definitely it. certifies you as crazy. Well, the mummy was removed from the museum, so I slept in the sarcophagus. Um, I negotiated with the Egyptian government to lock me up inside, in, inside the pyramid. It's just me in the pyramid, and I asked for lights out. So the oldest man-made structure in the world was my private residence for the night. I was escorted in around 11.30 p.m., and they came and got me out about 7.30 in the morning. All because I was reading a book by Dr. Paul Brunton, who was this British philosopher and mystic. And he wrote about his experience about, um, in fact, Dr. Paul Brunton slept in the same sarcophagus in 1930. His book came out in 1932. And I was the very first person, this Dr. Paul Brunton, to sleep in was intrigued about this particular sarcophagus because in 1798, Napoleon Bonaparte slept in the same sarcophagus. And there's, you can read about this. So Napoleon Bonaparte, when they um, invaded uh, Egypt and basically Egypt became his playground, he slept in the sarcophagus and one of his lieutenants came and woke him up the following morning after his night in the sarcophagus. His military attaché found him shivering and scared and timid and frightened in the corner of the king's chamber. This is Napoleon Bonaparte, okay. shivering, timid, and frightened, sleeping in a sarcophagus. And Dr. Paul Brunton was, was absolutely um, somewhat bedazzled about that particular experience of Napoleon Bonaparte, and he slept in it. And I was reading Dr. Paul Brunton's book about his experience, and I said, fuck it, I'm going to do it too. And then <laughs> I like that in Cairo, Egypt, right? Having no idea who was going to pull this up, but I knew, I mean, I'm a very, very stubborn person. I know in life I'll always get what I want because I'm, I'm happy to pay the price, whether it's pain or pain for the experience, but I'm very, very stubborn and um, I'm very, you know, I'm able to pivot and, I'm not, I'm, I, and I know how to exhibit behavioural flexibility to change my pitch and my direction, for example, you know. 
And that's a, that's a really important thing about life in general. If, if one door shuts, how are you going to exhibit Bible flexibility to open up another door, for example? And it took me three weeks to get permission to, to do exactly what Dr. Paul Brunton had done back in 1930. And this is me in 2007. Like 77 years later, after Dr. Paul Brunton did it, I was the very first person since Dr. Paul Brunton. And it took 77 years for another foreigner to do so. And that was me. Wow. Has yeah. any, that is, and when you describe it like that, it makes it sound so much more of a, an amazing kind of I mean, feat can, rather than a crazy can, thing, you know, because of the obstacles that you had to, exactly. you had to cross to get there. Nobody out there apart from myself or Dr. Paul Brunton can claim they spent the night alone in the sarcophagus all night. The pyramid was on under lockdown just for you and with all lights out. Wow. Two people in the last, you know, eight, in the last, you know, 90 years have done that. That's Dr. Paul Brunton and myself. But here's the thing. I just love challenges. I love the, I love the gauntlet of hurdles and obstacles. And I just, you know, I mean, like, and I, I think I was telling you um, before our, our call started, I'm working on um, diving down to the Britannic, uh, the sister ship of the Titanic. What people don't realize was the, uh, the Titanic sunk in 2000. The Titanic sank in 1912 in an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean. There were two sisters that were being built in the same um, shipyard in Belfast in Ireland, Titanic and the Britannic. Anyway, the Britannic sank three years to the date after the Titanic. Three years to so the both, date? Literally. So both sisters were doomed. Yeah. In fact, there were three ships the Titanic, the Britannic, and the Olympic, with all the same specs. And the Olympic basically collided with another ship. So all three sisters were doomed. So Two states, if, if, one if all ship. these ships had the same spec, then it must have been something in the workmanship and the manufacture. No, it was just random experiences. The Titanic hit an iceberg well i i know that but it's too much of a coincidence that they all had yeah, the same spec they, all they, were, they were made in the same yard and they all experienced yeah. like crazy yeah. accidents hit an iceberg the titan the, the britannic was hit by a german torpedo by a german u-boat in 1915 and it had british troops australian and kiwi troops they're coming back from the data from the gallipoli campaign and the Olympic was hit by a Swedish frigate. All right, then. Okay, I got you. So I don't think any, any ship could have survived any of those. Yeah, but just, uh, just the experience. Crazy of coincidence. The Titanic lies in one piece in 500 feet of water in the Mediterranean, in the Aegean, in the Greek waters. And she lies on her starboard side. And I just got permission. It's been granted by the there's – a, there's a Brit. There's a British guy who owns the Britannic, who owns the shipwreck. The British Commonwealth in 1996 auctioned off the rights to the ship. And a, and a guy who was basically, um, I think it was just a camera guy at the BBC. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he's the guy who bought the wreck of the British government. Okay, so he, so he bought the wreck and now he organises trips down there. Well, there's no trips down there. You can't dive down there. There's only been there's only been two dives. 1978, Jacques Cousteau discovered the wreck of the Britannic. In 1989, there was an expedition, and then in 2009, there was another expedition. 
So I'm going to be mounting the, very, the third expedition to the Britannic because you can't go down there. It's not like a tourist thing you can do. I mean, because of the logistics involved and because of the actual, uh, the depth of the water, what have you. So this guy, this British guy who bought the wreck, he paid 15,000 pounds. Wow. So imagine this, the Britannic, multi-million dollar for back in the day, right? Rides to the ship for 15,000 pounds. Yeah. I've already approached him a number of times. I go, dude, I will buy, let me buy it off you. Name your price. I want it. And he won't, he won't it, sell it. I've died, I've had lunch on the shipwreck Titanic, okay? So my objective now is to have lunch on the Britannic, to have lunch on both sisters. Sounds like it's going to be an incredible experience for you, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, um, it's, it's, it's a very difficult expedition to pull up. You know, logistically wise kind of thing, and obviously I want to document it because I've got a. I live I live here in Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles, and I've got a film production company, and we shoot documentaries. So, the the whole Britannic dive will be documented for a, a television documentary kind of thing. You know, so um, first of all, I, I grew up on history. I love geography. I love history. And it's a very historical ship. Well, people don't realize that after the Titanic sank, Titanic was the most opulent passenger ship in the world, and then. When the Titanic sank, the Britannic became the number one cruise liner in the world. And then with the outbreak of the First World War, uh, the, the British government needed every ship at its disposal. So the Britannic was recommissioned as a hospital ship. So it went from like a luxury cruise liner to becoming a hospital ship. It's a beautiful history to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, sounds really interesting. I have to say, history was not my favorite subject at school in fact I <laughs> I spent my history lessons with my friend just laughing we were always getting thrown out of our history lessons my friend <laughs> used to do this crazy thing with her eyes she used to put her, her eyelids always during our his, history lesson and just used to have me in fit I just never listened but that was a really interesting lesson I actually stayed awake during that whereas when I had my history lessons at school, I would definitely fall well, asleep I if I wasn't giggling. The, like at school, I mean, like, you know, I think teachers need to be like re-educated for, for a student to assimilate knowledge, for example, whether it's, a, it's an auditory experience, a visual, or a very kinesthetic type experience, for example, you know. And I think teachers uh, have one particular style and I don't know how to pivot um, to immerse themselves in different, I mean, you know, there's no such thing as ADD, for example. It's just basically it teaches an ability to be able to communicate to a child. I totally example, agree you know? on that. Totally agree. I mean, I mean look, it so serves many... teachers, it serves parents, it's just a label. Exactly. There's, there's so many scams out there. I mean, for example, you know, uh, even if you want to look at aging, I mean, you know, you want to look at aging. Aging is a disease. ADD, AD, you know, there's so many, there's, there's so many justifications. I mean, it's like, you know, if, if we all take the red pill, stop taking the other Kool-Aid that the media provides to us, you know, and really see how deep the rabbit hole goes. I mean, you know, you're going to start to awaken from a, from like, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years slumber, for example, and your life will never be the same kind of thing. And I, I mean, what I do with the five-day weekend, you know, you know, here's the thing. Before the five-day weekend, this book, we would all have a five-day work week. And prior to the five-day work week, about 100 years ago, the six-day work week was compulsory. Did you know that? So basically individuals were working six days a week. So it was a 48-hour work week. And then they realized, hold on here, if we only give the worker one day off, they're not going to spend the money they just made working the last 
But how do you create an economy? How do you lubricate the economy of your of your respective government by giving the worker more leisure time? So it went from six days to five days. And the individual who engineered the five-day work week from the six-day work week was heavily flawed because he realised by giving the worker more leisure time, they're going to spend their money, giving them justification to go back to work one of the five days to make more money. By giving the worker more leisure time, you're going to give them a reason, a justification to want to own an automotive. And what did Henry Ford do? He produced automotives, cars. See the agenda? Yeah. See, Ed, and here's the thing. That was around the birth of the, uh, the Industrial Revolution, or whatever, too. But prior to the, the six-day work week, I mean, 150 years ago, there was no such thing as a job. The whole phenomenon of a job, of a J-O-B, is really only about 120 years old. But 150 years ago, our great-grandparents weren't employees, they were entrepreneurs. They were out there doing it. They were working for themselves. They weren't reliant on the government or the system. But I find now with humanity, you know, this tyranny of impoverished thinking over here, you know, the, the law of diminishing intent, the whole society is, is basically they've got one single source of income as an employee. They're overly reliant on the government. It's called financial diabetes. They shot a government insulin, which is basically welfare and the pension over here. And where everybody's been conditioned to work Monday to Friday, you get parole for the weekend. You're counting down the days until your weekend. You're counting down the months until your next vacation. And you're counting down the years and the, you're counting down the years until you retire. I've just got, um, I've just, I can just hear my granddad say to me now, as you were saying that, my granddad worked for himself. He was, a, in his day, he was, a, he was an entrepreneur and he, he always worked for himself. And he was a Yorkshire man. And he, yeah. he always used to say, there's not like working for yourself. That's Absolutely. always what he used to say. There's not like working for yourself. He would never, ever. In fact, when he retired, he was that used to working. When he retired, he actually took a job. He was in business all his life, very successful. But then when he retired, he just wanted um built a house for my grandma to live in and Towards the end of his working career, he had a guest house and he'd lived there. Then he sold that and he moved into the house with my nana and he was so bored. He took a job as a taxi driver. He lasted about two months. And I remember him saying, I can't work for anyone else. I can't, I can't have anyone telling me what to do. You know, I think it's also like a, you know, self esteem and your belief system, you know. And, um, but, you know, but that's the reality. 150 years ago, there was no such thing as a, jo- a JRB or a job. Every, I mean, and even thousands of years. I mean, look, even thousands, like 3,000, 4,000 years ago, people were entrepreneurs. Back then it was called being a merchant. Mm. You know, if you're a respective um, city, there wasn't much employment, you'll get on a boat or on a ship and go and go and trade a barter in the next port. But what happened? We're, look, and unfortunately, there's, there's, you know, I thought society has become brainwashed. And even like today, you know, it's 2020, there's, there's dumbification. Of the, of the human populace, you know, and I believe in social media and reality, reality television. Um, I mean, there's, there's some great opportunity with social media now and the internet, but I believe at the same time, there's dumbification of the human race. I think as a, as a, as a civilization, we're becoming far more dumber. Oh, dumber, oh, okay, I get you. Sorry, I, I didn't hear what you said then. Yeah, I totally agree. Nick, what would you like people to say about you when you're no longer here? What would you like your legacy to be? 
Well, first of all, um, I plan to be around for a very, very long time. I'm now in the second third of my life before my expiry date. For me, I just want to add value to individuals. You know, it's like, I mean, it's more like just, you know, if anyone's going to reflect who I am, it's like, well, you know, I want to add it. I want to add value to as many people's lives as possible kind of thing. I, I haven't added, I, look, I've had many, many challenges in my life and I wouldn't change one bit. And I've, there's so much more that I've yet to accomplish. I mean, I've been to 157 countries. There are so many more experiences that I've yet to have. But obviously, it all comes down to your legacy. And uh, once, you've, once, you've, once you've had a legacy, well, how can you shape other people's lives? How can you add value to what they're doing, you know? Whether it's helping people build a business or a brand or helping them, like, get out of a rut or getting out of, a, or getting out of like, a bad financial um, debt cycle, for example, you know? But, um, you know, I'm, I'm that lighthouse. I want to illuminate. I want to be, that, I want to be that, that, that beam of light to illuminate a path for someone to adhere to, you know? Provide, a, provide an illuminated path they can learn from their lessons and then they can sort of pass on the love and the, the inspiration kind of thing. And it all comes down to five apps. More fun, more friendly, more fulfillment and more quality time with your family and your friends. And uh, everything else is simply irrelevant, isn't it? What experiences await you? Wow. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. I, every day is an experience. I mean, I'm learning something new every day kind of thing, you know. But uh, I love exploration. I love... Um, there's so much there's so much there in, in, in exploration that I just love. I love adventure, I love the outdoors, I love hiking, I love climbing, I love the mountains, I love the solitude of the deserts and the summits and whatever too. I love the ocean. You know? I just I look, I I mean I treat each day as if it's my very last day, you know. I think if you if you were to put an expiry date on your life and approach it that particular way, and you're going to accomplish more. You know, so once again, it's the mosaic, it's that kaleidoscope kind of thing. You're going to make life count. And, um, you know, look, you know, a desert becomes a forest. A desert becomes a rainforest with the right gardener. And who's the best person to cultivate the soil, to enrich it and to hydrate it? It's you, you know. But um, everything, I mean, never be overly reliant on anybody but yourself. That's the most important thing, you know. Never take life for granted. That's, that's probably the most important thing. And, um, you know, I think it's, just, it's like if you've got parents, tell your parents every day, you know, that you love them. Give them a hug and if it's an opportunity, for example. Like, I mean, for example, like my mother's 86. She's got an iPhone, 10, and she's on WhatsApp. And she harasses me every day. <laughs> and, I was going to say, she's I, still harassing you. <laughs> I love but you harass- love it. You love being harassed yeah, by your mom. That's, you know, because, you know, she lives 15,000 miles away kind of thing. That's how we communicate every day. Well, like I see every day. It takes a phone call. It just takes an effort, you know. But it's really, it also comes down to, like, you know, some prioritizing things in life. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, and, you know being rich isn't simply just um, the, the physical side. It's being spiritually and being emotionally rich and being physically rich too, you know. But um, it all comes down to the experiences and, um you know, whose life are you going to shape today? Whose life are you going to add value to today? Make it a goal. Make it a make it um, part of a um, a ritual on a daily basis, kind of thing. You know, but uh, it's exciting. That's what I love about life. Life is unpredictable, but you can manipulate it. But when I say manipulating it, it means you're able to have control over it. Because in life, there's only two things in life that I can't control, and that's weather and traffic. But I can warp time 
to my advantage. You can warp time. And his ways had a warp time to your advantage. I was just thinking then about the weather and I was just thinking the UAE government do crazy with the cloud seeding over here so they are kind of controlling the weather and manipulating all the rainfall and um, it's funny that analogy you gave about the desert becoming a rainforest our deserts are actually growing loads of greenery because of the manipulation with the clouds so basically for people who don't know cloud seeding is it's basically you put something in the clouds which encourages rainfall and we've been getting I lived in the UAE for three years and I hadn't seen one drop of rain over the last few years since cloud seeding has started like literally I've seen more rain awesome got one last question I'd like to ask you what are you grateful for grateful for being alive and breathing and enjoying life grateful for like adding value to other people's efforts in life Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you. Look, if my life was to expire prematurely, I'll be one pissed off poltergeist. Just make sure that harness, when you do that um, zip line over the uh, uh, volcano, is fastened on tightly. Because, yeah, we don't want you you departing before you should. That's for sure. No, it ain't going to happen. I'm going to be around for a very long time. Okay. Excellent. Nick, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate your time and efforts and yeah. thank you for the interview. And I would just like to say, if anyone's interested in going on any of Nick's trips, you still have places left for the volcano. Yeah, absolutely. The they can reach out to you and um, we can sort of communicate from there, definitely. Yeah, if anyone's interested, but it's probably, you can't really... The most real experience... And probably the most mesmerizing experience you will ever experience in life. It's, it truly is amazing. If you can pop over to Nick's profile on Facebook, Nick Halleck, you will see the pictures. And it looks absolutely breathtaking, especially the Vietnam one. That looks yeah. amazing. Awesome it looks like something out. Yeah, it looks like yeah. something out of a fantasy. That it's is cool. definitely definitely something i would love 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 to do not too sure about the volcano one if i'm being completely honest definitely the the vietnam one but unfortunately i've got commitment so i won't be able to do that if anyone's interested pop over to nick's facebook page and have a look giving information about the events on the page okay nick thank you so much thank you very much thank you you're good doing it. You're adding value. You're enriching people's lives, and uh, congratulations on that. Thank you.